Hello and welcome to the latest Spotlight feature on the Contextual Safeguarding Network where we'll be focusing on different ways of working with peer relationships in our safeguarding work with adolescents. I'm Carly Adams-Elias, uh, the Youth Work Practice Advisor in the Contextual Safeguarding Team at the University of Bedfordshire um, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Kat Wyke and Derek Osinde who are both social workers in two different local authorities in London who are working alongside the contextual safeguarding team to test and embed contextual safeguarding approaches into their safeguarding system. Uh, they join me today as they've both written about their experiences and reflections of adapting their work to consider peer relationships when safeguarding adolescents who may be exposed to harm outside their home. Um, so for the purpose of this conversation, we'll use the term peer to describe a relationship between two or more young people. Um, these young people will be similar ages and have a social connection of some kind. So although according to this definition, both of these conditions are necessary, it does give scope for the relative closeness um, and distance of age and social relationships. So now it's my pleasure to introduce Derek and Kat. Um, and I wonder if you could both start by introducing yourselves and your role, and if you could tell us a little bit about why you think it's important to consider peer relationships in safeguarding young people impacted by extra familial harm. Shall I go first? Sure, thanks Kat. Hi, my name's Kat White um, and I am a social worker but my job title at the moment is I'm a contextual safeguarding advisor for the London Borough of Ealing. Um, I had the opportunity to write a level two peer group assessment um, and in with respect to why I think it's important to think about um, to consider peer relationships and safeguarding. Um, I think we the social work in general for a long time has been geared towards thinking about the needs of children in the environment of their family and in that within that context and how that impacts on their needs but we just know um from the research but also probably from our own experiences of being through adolescence as well that um your your friendships and your relationships um especially during adolescence are incredibly important to you and um you would probably do things with your friends that you wouldn't do otherwise um and your groups of friends can probably mean more to you at that time in your life than than your family, for example. Um, so thinking about young people only within their families, especially when the, the risk of harm they may be experiencing is outside of the family home, um, is probably not the most helpful thing to do for them. But thinking about their needs as a group um, is incredibly helpful, as opposed to just looking at them as individuals and thinking about what the plan could be, like a meaningful plan that meets the needs of that group, because there will be a need that that um that their their friendship or whatever brings them together is is meeting for them be it safety be it a sense of fun be it a sense of emotional connection um maybe your home life isn't feeling great at the moment and and being with your friends is especially important um so yeah i think it's really important to think about them as a peer group lovely thank you Kat. and derek welcome hello um my name's Derek Osindi. I'm a social worker within the adolescent team in Barking and Dagenham, and we work with young people who are at risk of exploitation or who sadly have been exploited. Um, building on from what Kat said, it's I find that it's very important for us to uh, get an understanding of the young person's world. And I feel that the peer assessment really helps us to kind of understand their world, which a lot of the time, like Kat said, is happening outside of the family home. 
and as these young people are teenagers, you know, their identity is forming. So it's also very important to get an understanding of uh, how they see themselves. Um, one of the positives that I think uh, the peer assessment gives us is that it helps us to understand the relationships that they have, the strengths within those relationships from the young person's perspective as well as from ours. Um, but as professionals also helps us to think about the risks um, around these young people. One of the one of the really interesting things that I like about the peer assessment is it helps us to understand why these young people have a bond with each other. It helps us to understand what has brought them together. Um, so I find that that's that's really useful and it helps young people to be able to think about why they have their friends in their life and why they value their friends, which I think can open up a lot of very interesting conversations around risk, around safety, around what they get from those relationships. Um, and I think what's actually really interesting about the peer assessment as well is it brings out adult relationships as well that young people might have and might value, um, which at times are not always going to be negative. You know, um, so yeah, there's some of the reasons that uh, I think it's a, a really good tool and I, I really think it's also a great tool to help parents to understand what is happening in their child's world and how their child looks at the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm really heartened to hear both of you talking a lot there about the strengths of peer relationships. And I think often in safeguarding, we talk about um, peer relationships from a sort of uh, deficit perspective in terms of thinking about concerns or kind of negative influence. So it's really, um, really heartening to hear you talk about looking for the strengths and the bonds and those connections um, between uh, young people and their friends and their other peer relationships that they hold. So thank you for that. Um, and both of you are working in uh, different local authorities who are uh, currently testing and embedding contextual safeguarding approaches um, and, and both local authorities have taken slightly different approaches to looking at that. I wonder if you could tell us a bit um, more about the different approaches that your local authorities taken to considering peer relationships in safeguarding young people. Derek, I don't know if you want to start first. Um, well, one of the, you know, we, we, we do peer mapping um, which we find very helpful to help us to understand who is around the young person and what the risk is around the young person. Um, so that's that's one way that we do it. Another way that we do it also is we embed we embed uh, aspects of our peer assessments into our single assessments so that we are able to sort of uh, give a very, very good um, understanding of the child's world and their lived experience, both not just historically, but also in the here and now. Brilliant. Thank you, Derek. And Kat, is that similar for you in Ealing? Um, so Ealing has taken a couple of approaches um, on the level one aspect of assessments. We've um, been trying to um, support colleagues to think about the child and family assessment fr framework and adapt it so that it does make sense in terms of um, a contextual safeguarding approach to thinking about how we can safeguard young people. So thinking about how the sort of traditional prompts would be to think about your home and your family and your um, your home environment. It's sort of broadening that out um, and working in partnership with young people and indeed the the families to think about who is a part a significant person in this in this young person's world and and is it their friendships and which which friends and, and 
and in what ways are those people significant to them in, in both potentially positive and negative ways and sometimes both um, and really trying to make sure that we've kind of um, got a clear guidance on how we, we might have this sort of uh, assessment that's been written for the purposes of approaching things in, in a slightly different way but it still can be um, sort of approached in a way that helps us to have a holistic understanding of that child and, and drive forward a meaningful plan for them that makes sense in, in the set in, in with respect to whatever the safeguarding needs are which um sometimes do involve stuff in the home as well let's be honest mm -hmm. um not everyone's got the i mean no one's got the perfect family life sometimes we all need a bit of space um and to get away and just thinking about how they can be safe in all aspects of their lives but um we also um what I had the opportunity to be involved with very excitingly was a level two assessment where um, I was able to um, work with um, work, um, think about a group of young people we'd identified um, that had been connected through a series of really concerning incidents. Um, so we had a really clear parameter that I was going to think about that group only and think about their safeguarding needs as a group who were at risk of significant harm together. Um, and driving forward an understanding of that group, um, which involved um, regrettably not getting to meet them on this occasion, um, as much as I tried that I was not, meeting with me was not their priority at, at a really difficult time in their lives. Um, so I did have to do the assessment based on working with um, other professionals who knew them really well. Um, but that was obviously a, a negative outcome because I'd love to have kind of co-written the assessment with them as a group really. Um, but yes, so that's, that's what I had the opportunity to do and um, we thought it was um, as much as there was learning there were positive things to take away and we're going to try and do another one soon. Thanks Kat, such um, helpful and interesting reflections. Um, I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about um, what you think some of those positive outcomes um, have been in terms of taking these new approaches. So the level one I think has really helped, um, we're still working on it um, definitely but we've we've rolled out training I think the way we we've mainly kind of thought about it is this is what a more traditional approach looks like this is what uh, the sort of uh, a level one assessment could look like in our CFAs um what do people think and trying to get practitioners ideas about what about what's workable what's feasible and and um working together on what those assessments look like and the kind of language and a shared language mm. that we can all understand that um, there's never places blame on the young person for their harm has been something that we've really focused around as well and I think that's been a really positive thing to sort of understand our commitment really to ensuring that young people are understood as as when when they're vulnerable as opposed to being um responsible for their own harm which of course mm -hmm. they can never consent to their own harm um and in terms of level two with the positives that we've seen from that one assessment that which was a kind of trial that i had the um opportunity to be involved with. I think we've definitely seen systemic changes um, since it's happened um, and in a way that I'm like wouldn't have anticipated it, um, which was really positive. We have we work with some uh, team in Ealing's called the Safer Community Team, Safer Communities Team, who are generally very committed to being dynamic and flexible and thinking about how to do things in a in a helpful way, which is great. But um, we were able to work on making sure before they um, before they're seeking civil enforcement actions for example they now um, consult with social care and the youth offending team to think about the appropriateness of their their recommended actions to ensure they're always promoting safeguarding first and, and really carefully thinking in a joined up way about the next step so that it's a collaborative process um, and also there was sort of an inadvertent issue in the assessment I was involved with where there'd been some physical descriptions of the young people concerned that had been seen by the young people and um, were not perceived as very flattering um, and it was certainly not 
deliberate on in, in any way shape or form and we've just been more thoughtful about it. and there's been some guidance written about how we can make sure that we're sort of um avoiding any unnecessary um things that could jeopardize ongoing working relationships with young people so i think that's been really positive and we owe a debt of gratitude to that young that group of young people really for for how they helped us to move that forward in ealing um and I think as well, what I was able to do in that assessment was um, reference how the youth service in particular had formed, like it had forged incredible relationships with this group of young people. Um, they were already providing really meaningful support day to day, both for the young people and their respective families who were going through a really difficult time. So we were able to sort of, and the sort of the approaches they took to forming those positive relationships are pretty universal to any professional working with young people. So I was able to sort of um, explain that and hopefully demonstrate that there was some positive stuff going on, which which is great, but also sort of help people to understand what what working together in a positive way can can look like and hopefully help them to learn from that. Um, and also I was able to sort of, um, I, I, I found it impossible not to really like this group when I was learning more about them during the process. And I felt like it was a real opportunity to show them off as being the kind of awesome people that I saw them to be and really complicated, but with incredibly understandable motivations, which um, the complexities of the, the particular safeguarding situation they found themselves in were driven out of convictions of loyalty and love for each other, not from coercion and control and, and fear. Um, and I think that's incredibly important to remember that people, young people can get into these situations for a whole host of reasons and not all of them are, are sort of negative as such. And there were so many positives that they brought to each other's lives that we really wanted to um, help them to continue with um going forward and by by no means separate them or 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 uh, encourage them to not spend time together because they 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 were awesome for each other in so many ways and i think it was a real opportunity to to show that in this assessment process so we could think about that going forward that sounds brilliant Thank you, Kat. I think that really aligns with lots of the uh, kind of principles of contextual safeguarding and kind of really um, thinking about the power of language as well and how different uh, approaches to language and framing young people's experience can have then a really um, huge impact on the kind of responses and um, support that they might get or not, depending on how their experience is framed. So that's really helpful to hear. Thank you, Kat. And Derek, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the pos positive outcomes that you've found of taking these new approaches to in including thinking about peers in your assessments? Um, definitely. I mean, building on from what Kat has said, uh, 100%, we do, we do find that a lot of these relationships uh, sometimes are driven by love and loyalty and the fact that the young people have a bond or something that might bring them together. Um, for example, there might be a group of children who all met at a PRU or a group of kids who have all been in local authority care. Um, so, I mean, one of the one of the and, and, and as, as Kat was saying, not all of these things necessarily are negative. Um, and sometimes what I found is was really useful was that balancing that against the risks in the community and the fact that these young people live in a community where they know there is youth violence, where they know there is uh, exploitation happening and where they are, at, you know, they acknowledge uh, sometimes that, that they are at risk and it is dangerous for them outside. Um, you know, uh, Moving on from that a little bit, it helps us to also, I found one of the positives is it helped us to understand the roles and responsibilities within different groups. Who is the protector? Who is the, you know, the joker of the group? Who is the, you know, so I found that that was very useful for young people to kind of reflect on and look at and think about how they perceive their friends and how their friends might perceive them. Um, 
one of the one of the uh, really really positive things about that's come out of this for us is that it's really helped us with our safety planning not just our safety planning in relation to working with parents to safeguard their kids but also individual safety plans for young people as well as safety plans as a group of young people who share a relationship and spend uh, a lot of time with one another um some of the other positives, if I'm honest, is that actually, you know, it's allowed us to be able to work in partnership with other agencies who will disrupt um, any uh, negative um, behaviour or anything that's of concern in the community. For example, through doing some of these assessments, um, peer assessments, we might have had young people who've spoke about places where county lines activity is happening or where gang activity is happening um, or might have um, disclosed information that would help us to understand um, how to disrupt the activities that are happening in the community that not just only put these young people at risk that we're working with but also other young people in the community. Um, I think one of the other positives is like this has really helped us to develop our plans and like Kat was saying it allows us to start to think differently and think about the plans that we're making um, you know are they realistic are they manageable um, and most of them most importantly um, you know do they meet the, the, the needs of the child and the parents. That's Brilliant, Derek. I'm really happy to hear that you you feel that there's so many positives. Um, I think it's really interesting that you picked up on the point there about um, how uh, approaching this might help you to understand uh, better young people's experience in other contexts as well. So actually, whilst you might start to try and understand peer relationships, what you come to learn is actually maybe it's a location or a particular place or space that is the, the context of concern and where we might need to think about targeting our interventions. So I think it's really, um, really helpful um, reflections for you to share. Thank you, Derek. Um, and now moving on to think a bit more about some of the fa uh, challenges that you might have faced by doing this. I know that kind of testing and embedding new approaches is, is never easy <clears throat> and it does often bring up kind of unexpected challenges. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about any of the challenges that you faced and what you might be doing to respond or to overcome those challenges. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was so interesting, Derek, what, what you were saying about, I think, I, I don't know if it's the same way you were, but there was such dwindling places that young people could go to be safe and spend time together in the area with which they live in which they lived and it seemed like they were very aware and had capitalized on what options there were um, but that was certainly a challenge and some of their options had been taken away from them um, prior to this assessment taking place such as this football place where they play football every single day and they were like loving it and they all loved football so much and that just the, the grounds where they were playing football were just taken away and that was really hard and I couldn't um, you know much as I'd love to if I couldn't make it so that we were putting a football pitch back for them um so I think the challenges around thinking about realistic um outcomes was was definitely there and having to be really creative and thoughtful about that um and I think next time were we to do it again I would welcome the group of participants more into that process of, of the group think of what what potentially could we offer as outcomes here and what is realistic and I that I'm sure as a group we could think of more options than me and my supervisor alone could think of um because that was probably one of the hardest things of, about about um, this assessment really um, 
and making sure that they were meaningful for this group. I think the other thing that I kind of felt a little bit frustrated about was if I was to honestly look back and think about as a result of this assessment, although there's been systemic changes in Ealing that are really positive to the young people that we've um, done the assessment for, are they experiencing a positive change as a result of this assessment day to day? Probably not, um, much as I, I would like that not to have been the case. So that was tough to sort of sit with ethically. But um, yeah, we, we, we are thinking about that in terms of how we can go forward to the next assessment and I think um, thinking about potential outcomes at the start of the assessment and, and being flexible that we might not stick with them is going to be a really important part of the process and it might also really encourage um, young people and their families to engage with the process and to understand better what it means and looks like because frankly while I was figuring out what this assessment means and looks like myself, it was quite hard to communicate that to, mm -hmm. to the children and, and, and um, young people and, and, and their families. And I was not only that, but I was relying on um, social workers in this instance to sort of request for them to get involved and explain it to them for me. Um, even though I'd written something, writing something is not always a helpful way to present information to, to anyone, let alone to young people who are probably very busy and have a lot on their minds, um, especially as this group did at the time. So I think there was lots of challenges that came up and, and getting to, to um, getting to actually work with them more, more on the next assessment I think would be incredibly important um, having said that I did still think it was a helpful assessment and because I've been able to triangulate so much information from the various professionals it felt like it was relatively accurate which was positive but again not ideal um, I think this is more personal thing as much as anything I struggled to be concise um, because I just I, I just got so passionate during the assessment process and just just thought this group is just so fantastic and had so much to say and I think you just really have to keep a lid on on that enthusiasm or in my case that lid on that enthusiasm and the supervision process is really important to that and making sure because I was the first person to write something like this in Ealing that what I was writing is essentially replicable realistically for somebody else mm -hmm. um, and making sure you stick to timescales because whatever you're writing it I've been reflecting and I, Derek and I had a chat about this before before today's podcast you sort of feel like your snapshot shots out of date the day mm -hmm. from the day it's written because young people's lives move on so quickly Ooh. that there's typically so much like there's such a dynamic group with things moving on fast and this is a this was a relatively tra non transient group who'd known each other since primary school and very close but um i think we, we i just wanted to make sure that that was really clear with the assessment write up that because uh, i think we've probably all seen that somebody has written um a, a sentence about a young person and it follows them on their file for years and mm -hmm. and they can't kind of once it's written it become it becomes truth and i just wanted to be really clear about that and i built built that really carefully into the wording in my assessment that so that any reader could be really mindful that this is the snapshots of what's happening for them now it can change change and and they're not to be held to that um for the for the rest of their lives um and I think sharing the assessment was incredibly challenging especially because we really wanted the people who contributed to be able to see it to understand it um and to ideally have felt like a part of writing it but there can only really be one author um and I think next time we'll probably have a meeting where we kind of agree on what's going to go under the various headings and the structure so that everyone does feel more like a part of it and a really clear understanding of why it will be shared and how and that the priority is always safeguarding um and if something's going into the assessment that doesn't necessarily have a bearing on on safeguarding I would argue it probably shouldn't be in there at all um and I, I think there's inevitably different agendas of different people participating. Would love to say that everyone's wholeheartedly doing safeguarding alone, but they've got other things to do within the remits of their job and just being extremely mindful of the responsibility you have and, and honouring the privacy of this group and, and their right to a private life.
was incredibly important and again I was quite careful to make sure that that was um, written into the final assessment write up um, yeah I think that's so important Kat and I think that that's probably one of the biggest challenges and I wonder Derek if you you've had similar sort of considerations that you thought about when particularly around sort of sharing information and recording information and kind of what that what that feels like as a practitioner. Um, yeah no definitely um, definitely I mean we we gather a lot of sensitive 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 information throughout this process so it's very uh, important to think about what needs to be uh, shared with who and why um, so that's something that I suppose uh, we, we, we are as a as children's services universally we're all working on and trying to work towards a position where um, where we can ensure that we don't put other young people uh, is, you know, we don't put information out there that doesn't need to be out there or can fall into the wrong hands or can be misconstrued. Um, so, yeah, I echo what what, what Kat is saying 100 percent. Some of the other challenges that, um, you know, one of the other challenges that I've noticed personally that I think is um, is something that as a social worker who's got numerous other cases and you know is limited with time i found that this particular piece using this peer assessment is a, a therapeutic piece of work um and the reason it's ther a therapeutic piece of work is because we generally a lot of the time as social workers don't know the young people we're working with we're meeting them very early on and we have to build that relationship with them so we're asking them to talk to us about intimate details about their life and their relationships that they have so I suppose one of the challenges I found is that it's the peer assessment is something that takes time. Mm -hmm. It's something that you have to move at the young person and the family's pace. Um, I think it's really a great tool in the sense that um, anyone can do it. And I hope we get to a position where it can be more embedded into the professional network and other professionals feel confident to either take it on because if they have a good relationship with the young person that I believe that is a great place to start. Um, you know, because one of the difficulties is around uh, one, having the relationship with the young person and two, uh, young people trusting professionals or getting to a point where they feel like they can trust the professional. So I think it definitely uh, does take time and is a therapeutic process. Um, another one of the challenges I've noticed is that actually, you know, some parents uh, don't know who their young people's friends are and don't allow their friends into their home or have any sort of relationship with their friend's parents. And sometimes this can be uh, this can this can be a challenge, um, but I think it's also a positive that we can work on to help parents to also get to know who their friends, uh, who their child's friends are, and to try and build relationships and think about safety around their their, their, their child and the child's friends as a group. So I think it's a really good. Um, as much as that can be a challenge, there's a positive that can come out of it where we can build on safety by using the adults around these children, their parents, to effectively be part of a safeguarding plan for them. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think it's just really helpful, even if it's just to use it as a bridge to start those conversations with parents sometimes. And like you say, if, if parents aren't even considering or thinking about their child's peer relationships, then uh, taking this approach might be the thing that kind of opens up the possibility for them to be thinking differently about uh, peer relationships. Um, that's really helpful. So I'm just thinking now whether there are any particular tools or resources that you um, have used to help you consider peer relationships or maybe to engage with young people to help them think about 
uh, what they might um, share with you around their peer relationships. Mm. I think Derek, Pat, you, you mentioned peer mapping. Is that something that you regularly do as part of the assessment process? Yes, um, yes, it's something that we do uh, undertake. Uh, we find it extremely um, helpful, not just by way of being able to help the young person to also understand their world and the people around them, but we also find it helpful in us really understanding the risk around these young people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant, thank you. And Kat, is, it, is that something that you've used or have you used any other tools at all? Um, we certainly have found that um, Peer mapping is incredibly helpful in terms of getting this descriptive process going, as I suppose, for child and family assessments. And it can be a really useful thing to do with a young person alongside them to think about who is important in their lives, who are the significant people, um, what kind of relationships they have, what do those dynamics look like, and, and, and what what positives and negatives might might there be. Um, and and that's that's really helpful. We use a push and pull factor process with young people often. So um, so I think especially if they're spending a lot of time outside of the home thinking about why that might be. And if there are things maybe going on at home that they're finding particularly difficult to be around. I think after the year we've all had with COVID-19 restrictions as well, we probably all um, needed a bit of space, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, and thinking about how can we help them to have that space in a safe way? Um, how could is there things that we can do at home that help that will help home to be be more, more comfortable and and um, if are there pull factors as it were that are taking them outside of the home and what they might they might be be it boredom uh, a sense of sort of um, looking for fun or um, seeking connection um, really under understandable things that we have or maybe there are like a sense of if I don't do this then um, I'm not going to be safe because there may be um, experiences of threat and coercion and getting to that point where a young person um, can feel okay to share that stuff is, is a process I think as mm -hmm. Derek has already spoken to say so, so beautifully um, and it can take some time um, which might not always be realistic in the timescales of a child and family assessment which which is something that I think needs to be honoured in assessments but um, and in, in the sense of this peer two um, not peer two level two um, peer group assessment um, I there's a um, Lloyd about is it Bouchy Furman and Owens 2019 peer group assessment frame framework yeah. Um, it talks about the different needs of a, a group and how it can be thought about on the different levels. And I absolutely had that printed out and pretty much stuck on my desk to look at. And it formed um, an anchor for the assessment writing process to really remind me of what I was doing, how I was structuring it, how I was going to do um, how Christina and I, um, Christina being my line manager and supervision, how we were thinking about the questions we were going to ask young people. And really helpfully, so much of this stuff is on the contextual safeguarding networking uh, network site. So there isn't um, example a template of the questions you could ask so we took those and adapted it to in a way that seemed to work for us and um and um I think that all of those things really helped us to uh, feel that we were being encouraged really to to sort of have a flexible approach that worked for the needs of this group and and us as a borough but also that it had all been thought about before by people so that it didn't feel that we were coming at it um with brand new eyes um and that um, people had already tried thing for us, things for us. So it felt like a kind of collaborative process with um, the University of Bedfordshire in that sense as well. Yes, I, I echo that. I echo <laughs> that as well. We've we've also uh, we've also taken advantage of uh, the the tools that are available, and we also use the push and pull, something we've been using for quite a while as well in um, in my borough. Um, so I echo I echo everything Kat has said. <laughs> 
Brilliant, thank you. Um, and just before we um, end the uh, end our conversation today, I just wonder if you have any sort of advice for others who might be beginning to think about how they consider elevating peer relationships in their work to safeguard young people. Are there any kind of key things that you think that they should keep at the forefront of their mind? Um, one of the things I will say that I think is extremely positive is that young people's relationships change and because their relationships change it really creates a very good opportunity to be able to sit down with young people and allow them to um, one reflect on you know uh, the process and 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 what changes have happened um i'll give you an example um, I had a young man who I was working with and um, we did a peer assessment and at the beginning of the peer assessment he was very, uh, you know, very, he, he loved his circle of friends. Um, there was a lot of risk around quite a few of the young people in there and um, over time one or two of his friends had been badly assaulted and injured and they'd been attacked as a group. Um, and this young person over time was able to sit down with me and say, look, you know, um, I'm very concerned about my friendship circle. And the reason I'm concerned about them is because actually I now see that we hold, um, we see things differently. This young person said to me, one of my friends was jumped and beaten up and the rest of my friends run away and left him to be injured. And that opened a lot of conversations around, you know, um, why he felt that it's responsible to protect his friend um, and also about looking at the, the friends that he has. And over time, he was able to say, I don't think I want to be with some of these friends or consider them to be friends. I need to change some of my friends. But the way we were where we were able to get to that point is by using what we'd already achieved through the peer assessment, having reviewed it and done it, you know, over a period of a couple of months. So I could come back and say, well, you said this to me a couple of weeks. Uh, this is what you said to me two months ago. You sound like you are at a different place. So it opened a lot of conversations uh, and actually showed me that young people can reflect they have the ability to reflect and that once they make a decision, also they have the ability to carry out and say, I've made this decision now. So I, found, I, I find it's a really great tool not to just use and leave to sit down, pick it back up. Mm -hmm. You know, keep, pick it back up. And, and if situations are changing for young people, it's a good way to capture their feelings and thoughts at a specific time that we can come back and we can go, you know, this is where you were. This is what you're saying. And it's very sad that you're shifted you know, um, and, and, it's, and, and so I found it very, very beautiful. And there were very difficult conversations, to be honest, mm -hmm. such conversations. Um, and that's why I think it's a therapeutic process as well, you know, mm -hmm. because, um, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you, Derek. I think that just really speaks to the importance of building that relationship and creating a safe space with a young person. Um, yeah, and that takes time and that takes a particular set of uh, values, I think, and skills. So that's brilliant. Thank you, Derek. Kat? Gosh, it sounds like you did such a, you've done some such powerful work, Derek. Um, and I love the idea of it being a therapeutic process and also the idea of it not being a static document. And um, this is something that we can return to. Doesn't that help us to get around some of those challenges of um, this doesn't have to be the, the young person's truth forever? Yeah. Um, 
can be as it can be as shifting as as they are as a human and, and complicated as they are as a person um i think my advice to people would be to have a go um i, I was so like lucky to get the opportunity to do this process um, and to work with it um and to be a part of a, an organization that really encourages people having a go and seeing if we can move things along in the interest of the young people we're working with and i'm really excited to hear about how other people get on in this process and mm -hmm. us all learning together um mm -hmm. and reaching out to each other if if, if that feels appropriate and if you feel okay to do so I you know I'm really happy to be contacted um, if people feel comfortable to do that so that we can think about moving moving this moving this on together and learning about what's worked so well and what hasn't worked so well and just constantly trying to make things better um, I think investing in the planning process is incredibly important um, before you get started um, and it really is worthwhile and, and thinking about what resources you have and who is best placed to do some of this work and in what capacity and who has relationships with the young person I think I made a bit of a mistake of kind of assuming that some of the social workers we were working with knew, knew these young people better than they actually did and that they, they were brand new to the case in a lot of instances mm. when actually the youth service as it happened had been involved for years and just really having a handle on that before you get going is, is really helpful and planning that together as, as a team of people so that it's a sort of team undertaking the assessment and being incredibly clear, clear at all times about the parameters of your of, of what you're doing in a way that makes sense for you I've talked about, spoken about how I literally printed things off to have it in front of me to sort of help me with, with that and making sure that uh, at the end of the day everything about this assessment should be directed towards safeguarding and just being really clear about that but also at the crux of this assessment and what will probably make it feel different to anything else you've written is that you're considering the needs of the group not the individuals um, and I think sometimes when we can go, kind of fall into habits maybe of going into the individuals of uh, young people and what what we they need day to day and although that stuff's really important um, on this occasion the children are already had their their own child and family assessments that work had been done so it really was about thinking about them as a group and, and being really clear about that um, and also just as with all things make use of supervision um, and, and use that as a safe space to really think about and connect with what you're doing and and, and making sure that you're you're sticking to task and that everything that you're doing is as ethical as it can be because I think as we're all learning how to do this there can be those ethical implications that we need to be really mindful of at all times. Amazing. Thank you, Kat. I think just, yeah, absolutely um, brilliant advice from both of you. And I just want to say that I'm really um, grateful and honoured that you both uh, <laughs> agreed to participate in this conversation today. I think there's some really, really helpful um, reflections for other practitioners to be thinking about. Um, and so just to summarise, I think what we've heard throughout this conversation today is that um, considering peer relationships is really important and actually quite integral to safeguarding young people affected by um, harm from outside their home and that this can be done with individual young people or it can be done thinking about whole groups um, and that we should really be looking for the strengths in those peer relationships to help think about how we can build in support and protection and not just be focusing on the risk or the negative but thinking about the balance of those two things together. Um, I've really heard about the importance of trusted relationships and how important collaboration is and engagement with the right partners um, who might be key to you know holding those trusted relationships I guess like as you just said Kat not assuming that the social worker is always the right person for that um, and that mapping assessment and 
any intervention, I guess, should be proportionate and purposeful and isn't just a one off thing. It's something that we should be keep coming back to and kind of thinking about how we revisit those um, conversations with young people and giving them the space to reflect on what they've learned through that process and what that means to them. So that we're really kind of thinking about what's what is the outcome here for this young person in going through this process. Um, so I just want to end by saying what an absolute pleasure this conversation has been. So massive thank you to you both. And for the listeners, um, you've both written um, some uh, blog pieces about your reflections of your approaches that will be available on the Contextual Safeguarding Network alongside uh, this podcast. Um, so if you want any more information about that, and there's also a briefing uh, that myself, Katie Latimer and uh, Dr. Carleen Furman have written about thinking about the opportunities to uh, include peer relationships in safeguarding which will also be available alongside this so uh, thank you for your time and uh, look forward to hearing any comments or feedback please do feel free to get in touch by email or on twitter um, and that's us for today thank you